My dad used to say that you can fix anything with duct tape, and I used to think he was right. But dad, I found something duct tape can't fix. What Duct Tape Can't Fix is a little podcast about a big problem that many of you probably aren't even aware of, and yet it's something all of us are impacted by. The problem is our buildings and the complex challenges of keeping them healthy, safe, sustainable, and comfortable. I'm your host and amateur historian, Danielle Radden. Our first challenge facing buildings is general energy use. A whole lot of energy use and no clear indication of what we're doing with all that energy. I think the biggest part of energy is no one really knows where it comes from, where it's being used, and how they consume it. That was Brian Lena of Direct Digital Controls. He's an expert in energy and reminds me a lot of the man from the Dos Equis commercials. You know, that's just something that they look at the, at the end of the year at their utility bill, or at the end of the month at their utility bill, and they don't really understand what caused that bill to be so high. So what is using so much energy in our buildings? Mm, This calls for a little history lesson, but not too far into history. Uh, The electric grid wasn't even a thing until the early 1880s, which is less than 150 years ago. That's only four generations. And even then, the electric grid was just barely a thing. The first power plant in the U.S. served 85 customers, and it could only light up to 400 light bulbs. So we're not exactly talking about crazy amounts of energy. Technology tends to advance quickly, so it's not surprising that now we're consuming and potentially wasting more electricity in our buildings than we can ever really truly grasp. While I know there are a lot of things in a building that can use electricity, for this episode, let's just look at three electric technologies that shaped our buildings today and have drastically advanced over the years. Light bulbs, elevators, and air conditioning. Light bulbs really opened up the use of more of the space within buildings at any time during the day and night. Let's go back to the early 1900s. So the electric light bulbs were invented, but nobody really wanted them. Uh, Indoor lighting wasn't a new thing. Most of the buildings during that time were already connected to the city's gas infrastructure. So gas lights illuminated our darkest corners and allowed us to work at all hours of the night. You're welcome, all you night owls. Then in 1910, there was a massive shift away from gaslighting to electric lighting. Why? Well, tungsten and nitrogen, obviously. Early electric light bulbs lasted roughly 14 and a half hours, so you could only pull about two all night pull about two all nighters. Eh, not exactly worth it. But around 1910, the invention of the tungsten filament and the addition of nitrogen gas directly into the bulb itself made these electric lights last months instead of hours. And, because we all know how many men it takes to screw in a light bulb, longer lasting is preferred. Look around you now, and I doubt you can find an indoor space that's not electrically illuminated. Now, while there are plenty of energy-efficient light options, there are also still a lot of problems with indoor lighting. There's many spaces that are just lit constantly, no matter what. And perhaps that's a topic for another episode. Okay, so lots of bright ideas going on with the lighting in our buildings. What about elevators? The invention of the electric elevator allowed us to expand vertically without limiting access. Now think about it. Before elevators, we had to walk upstairs to reach the highest points points in our buildings. Now, I'm in pretty good shape, and on a good day, I really don't want to walk up more than about 10 stories. Not to mention it really cuts down on what I can bring upstairs. 
In the early 1900s, the first electric elevator was installed in a 14-story tall building, the Postal Telegraph Building in Manhattan, and the Postal Telegraph workers were casually lifted to their lofty offices in record time. So naturally, others in New York's in New York started dreaming about just how high they could get. In 1913, the Woolworth Building became the tallest building in the world with 60 stories. But the craziest part of this building is that even the highest points of it were useful. No previous time in history could humans reasonably use over 790 feet of man-made height. Every previous tallest structure only won the title because of a spire, a monument, or a tower. Uh, Think of church towers or church spires. A whole world was opened to us, the world that we could only see if we looked upward. And suddenly more people could live and work in cities without needing more land for the first time. And they did. Cities grew up, and they housed more people than ever. Today, almost 8 million people live in New York City, and another 70 million people visit each year. These people are all able to fit comfortably within the 300 square miles because New York was building up, not out. And New York isn't the only vertically expanding city. But each journey upwards in each of these cities is using electricity. The question is, just how much? All right, we know the use of elevators is rising to new heights. What about the invention that's going to keep us cool, despite global warming? Keeping cool has really always been a concern for humans. Before air conditioning, we had a lot of other methods. In some of the old theaters, they used to drag in ice into the building. And, you know, for every ton of cooling would be a ton of ice. You know, so they'd haul that in and they have fans blowing over the top of the ice to cool the theater. You know, so then it sort of progressed from, you know, ice cooling to mechanical cooling. That was Brian again. Around 1904, Willis Carrier invented an apparatus for treating air to solve a humidity problem in a printing press. And as a side effect, the resulting coolness in the printing room made it comfortable to be in. Much more comfortable than the fan and ice method was producing. More than just comfort, though, air conditioning was elevating productivity across almost every industry. Humidity and temperatures were no longer affecting products, and employees were able to work comfortably, even during the hottest time of the day and in the stuffiest parts of a building. Electric air conditioning started as a luxury, but in many places, it quickly became necessary as more and more of our lives were spent inside. Consider how much of our lives are spent indoors now, and how much of your time is spent in temperature-regulated environments. This is becoming even more important as we continue to have record-breaking high temperatures across the globe. Our health and general well-being is tied to our ability to avoid the dangerously hot days. And, just like lights, there are more energy-efficient options, but we're also running air conditioning all day and sometimes all night in hot climates. And unfortunately, sometimes the air conditioning units we're running today are outdated and aren't energy-efficient at all, but they still work. And we still need the cooler indoor temperatures, so we still just run those outdated AC units to the very edge of their abilities. So, while air conditioning is a cool thought, it's also a hot topic for building operations. For almost 100 years, advancements in our built world developed unchecked. The cost of energy was constantly dropping as we discovered new and cheaper sources of electricity, such as nuclear power. No one really worried about energy efficiency. No one paid attention to how much electricity a building was using or what it was being used for as long as the price was cheap and the energy kept on coming. 
The energy crisis of 1973 triggered the realization that people just might be using more energy than our energy sources could make. But an energy crisis didn't stop us then, and it's not going to stop us today. We've built our lives in such a way that we depend on our buildings and the electric technology that we've built into them. This isn't the only time that we've developed dependencies as humans. Anthropologists say that humans didn't domesticate wheat. They say that wheat domesticated humans. Wheat farming allowed us to store grain and feed a growing population through rough winters. Because of this, our ancestors were able to build cities, and groups of people were able to focus on other skills than obtaining food. We had artists and merchants and bankers, and all of them were fed and all of them were productive. However, with this growth, humans became dependent on wheat. Without it and the other farmed goods, our cities would crumble and our civilizations would die off. Hunting and gathering wouldn't support a city full of people. Does this sound like anything else we've been talking about? I think something similar has happened with electricity. Humans haven't harnessed electricity. Electricity has harnessed us, causing us to be dependent on it. Electricity has allowed humans to thrive in any environment, allowed productivity at all times of day, and enabled us to connect our entire world to each other. But we can't stop using air conditioning or our productivity plummets. And we can't stop using electric elevators or thousands of people are going to be stranded without a safe way to travel home. We can't stop needing lights or Wi-Fi or data centers or cell phones. And as our population grows, we need these things even more. We need electricity. We know about the existential threat of climate change, but we depend on electricity in our buildings to thrive as a global civilization. We know that buildings use a lot of electricity. And we don't always know how that electricity is being used. But we also know that we can't just stop doing what we're doing. We have to solve this problem by moving forward with new technology and with the help of a whole lot of people. I'm Danielle Radden. You can find me on LinkedIn, Danielle Radden, or reach me directly by email, whatducttapecan'tfix at gmail.com. In this episode, I talked about a challenge that we are facing with our buildings that duct tape can't fix. And now it's time for some solutions. Hi, Danielle. This is David Sharina with Caterio. So let's talk about energy consumption in buildings. We keep trying to solve this problem with software, but software doesn't free up somebody's time or add additional resources. Sometimes it creates more work. So software as a service really needs to be software with a service. And that's how we look at it at Caterio. So our software is paired with services from our smart service centers, and we've now become a digital extension of those local facilities teams. That allows us to help them turn the corner in how they run that building. Hello, this is Michael Grant, the COO and co-founder of Metricus. I think the solution to reducing energy consumption in buildings is pretty straightforward, and it all boils down to one key thing, data. You need a platform, you need to connect it to systems and connect it to some sensors and monitor key data points in your building like occupancy, indoor air quality, energy, and BMS. Hi, my name is William. I have just started a revolutionary company for building owners who want to save money. We sell night vision goggles, winter jackets, and bricks. My approach to help improve building efficiency involves just a few simple changes. My first bright idea is to turn off all of those wasteful lights in the building. Yes, all of the lights, turn them off. Secondly, turn down the heat. Now, some people may complain about being cold, but that's just a bunch of hot air. And finally, remove 
all the windows. It should be transparent by now that windows are just too hard to insulate. Well, that's all for this episode. Until next time.